In our section of Deuteronomy for the reading today, Moses is giving God's instructions to the people of Israel after he has come down from Sinai the second time. In our chapter, the instructions are about how the people should respect and support their priests. In this context, God says that when Moses dies, God will send a prophet like him from among his own people. The people had requested a prophet because they were afraid of hearing God's voice directly after their experience of God's anger the first time when Moses had come down and found them worshipping the golden calf. They said, if I hear the voice of the Lord my God any more, or ever again see this great fire, I will die. So they needed a prophet to mediate between God and them. And even the prophet was too close to God. When Moses came down from the mountain, his face was radiant with glory from God. And the people were afraid and he had to veil his face. God says that the prophet who will come is one who will have, like Moses, God's words in his mouth. And God gives a test. For a false prophet, the word he speaks does not take place or prove true. And we need to add that, as Moses himself tells us in chapter 13, a false prophet might even declare omens or portents, which do then take place. But if he goes on to urge the worship of other gods, he too must be rejected. There is a poignancy to Moses' words here. He is soon to die. And he's not going to be allowed to lead the people into the promised land. He is allowed to see it, but only from a distance. God tells him the reason. It's because of what happened at the waters of Meribah in the wilderness of Zin. The story comes in Numbers 20. The people were without water. Moses and Aaron bring their distress before God, and God tells Moses to take his staff, assemble the people, and command the rock which is before their eyes to yield its water. But what Moses actually does after assembling the people is to say to them, listen, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And then he strikes the rock twice with his staff. The water flows out. But the Lord says to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me to show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites, therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. 
Moses here, in his anger, tries to take over God's agency. And we might think back to the time he killed the Egyptian before his flight into the desert and hid him in the sand. Again, a flash of anger that tried to take over from God. But God is merciful. The people will get another prophet. To Jewish people reading this now, the next Moses might be Moses Maimonides, who wrote the Mishnah Torah, which is still the authoritative codification of the law, written about 1170. And they say, the proverb, between Moses and Moses, there is none like Moses. <laughs> but for Christians, the next Moses is Jesus. So Peter quotes this passage from Deuteronomy in his speech from Solomon's portico in Acts 3. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you from your own people a prophet like me. And then Peter applies this to Jesus. And Stephen quotes the passage and refers it in the same way to Jesus just before he is stoned to death for blasphemy. The Gospel reading is from Mark's account of the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He went to the synagogue at Capernaum, and I've been to the ruins of the building which still survive under a later building. He was invited to teach, and what he said astounded those who were there because he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. He then casts out an evil spirit and the congregation in the synagogue again say, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. What is this authority that the people perceive and acknowledge? Seeing Jesus as the second Moses is a help here. Jesus, like Moses, had the words of God in his mouth. This is not like the scribes who write down the words of the law and interpret them at second or third hand. What they say may be true, but it has God in it only at one remove or two removes. Plato has the metaphor here of a magnet with rings attached to it, and the magnetic force gets transmitted from ring to ring so that the chain holds together. But Jesus is delivering God's words directly, not at the end of a long chain of transmissions. The word authority is an interesting one. It comes from the Latin auctoritas, which in turn comes from the word auctor, or author. And in the Greek of the New Testament, the word is exousia, which has a similar etymology. What has authority 
is what comes from the being of a thing. I think we recognize this in ordinary life. Some people speak with authority about a subject, let's say gardening, because it comes from their inside, as it were. It's their home territory. Other people speak second-hand or third-hand, and what they say may be true, but it lacks the ring of authenticity. We don't listen to it with the same attention. Jesus delivers God's word. He has God's word in his mouth because Jesus is God and is sent by the Father. Even the unclean spirit recognizes this. I, I know who you are, it says, the Holy One of God. The story of Moses has special resonance for me. This is my last sermon to you as your warden. Next Sunday is the annual congregational meeting, and you will be presented with a slate for wardens and vestry. Two new wonderful wardens, Michelle Sig and David Mahan. When we last went through warden transition two and a half years ago, I nominated Michelle, and Michelle nominated me. <laughs> Since then, she has been deeply involved in the World Christianity Series and the Racial Justice Initiative. And David and Karen Mahan have been, I think, closer to the heart of this parish than anybody else for lo these many years. And he is a person of deep and godly wisdom. So if you vote them in, I am confident and eager about what is coming next for St. John's. But I wanted to say a couple of words about what I have seen here, and then to connect it with our Bible readings for today. The lectionary has reliably been a blessing in this way, prompting us to think together about just what we needed to think about at the time. I took up the wardenship with Phil Coy in September 2018. And when he got too sick, Karen Mahan joined me, and she has been a wonderful partner in this. We said goodbye to Wendy Coy, Phil's wife, last week. I had two things in mind at the beginning of the wardenship, and they were then joined by a third thing. The first was that we needed to make better use of the extraordinary gifts in our congregation. Reverend Ellendale has described life at St. John's as being like living in a popcorn popper, a constant blooming and buzzing a ferment of new ideas. We need to continue this and foster it. On my watch, we started up again the kitchen table, which has been an excellent place each month to hear from each other and our different experiences of the Christian life. And we started the St. John's Lectureship, 
which is a twice-a-year lecture followed by lunch and discussion led by members of the congregation. This will start up again as soon as COVID allows, perhaps this May. We started a theology discussion group and then the World Christianity Series and the Racial Justice Initiative. And we held church discussions about the election and then the failed insurrection at the Capitol. It is one of the charisms of this congregation, one of the gifts given us by the Spirit, that we can think together well under the guidance of Scripture. One manifestation of this is that we have many members of the congregation who can preach God's word to us. There are not many congregations, I think, with a preaching rota like ours. And part of this charism, this gift of the Spirit, is that we can be part of the preparation of many of you for ministry when you leave here. It is also a painful thing to have so many students because you leave us just when we are getting to know you. But that is how it is. And the pain is part of the gift. The second thing I had in mind when I became warden is that we have had a rather difficult time with our priests before the Hoffmans came to be with us. We had had three full-time priests and none of them were a super match for us for one reason or another, for different reasons. Those of us lay leaders in the congregation were starting to wonder, I think, whether it would ever really work. Between the priests, we had long periods of lay leadership. For example, after John Whitner left, it was Jim Ehrman and, and I, and I was responsible for the rota of preaching and the liturgy and the music. And it was completely exhausting, unsustainable for the long run. My thought when I became warden in 2018 was that there might be something in us as a body that made being our priest very difficult and we needed to repent. We were in danger of becoming hardened and self-sufficient in a harmful way. We had a vestry retreat in which that was the topic and it was fruitful. One thing Reverend Ellendale has said to us recently is that we are teaching each other what being a priest here and being a lay leadership here means. And it is not the old time top-down pastoral leadership that fits us. The Hoffmans have been extraordinary in the way they have led us, listening as well as teaching. I think we are now in a good place and it's largely due to them and the way God has helped them to help us. The third thing that happened was COVID. 
Our response has been an extraordinary sharing of gifts and time. We formed a COVID committee with some great professional advisors on it. The last time we met in the church, before the summer, was Pentecost 2020. We were able to start up Zoom worship, and then we started in-person worship in the garden with careful protocols. And then we were able to have communion outside with a hybrid service and Eucharistic ministers who would take the consecrated bread to those at home. Our priests undertook this at personal risk to themselves. And finally, briefly, inside the church again, just for a few weeks. And then the virus stopped that again, and we returned to Zoom exclusively. But at some point in the not very distant future, maybe the middle of March, we will start up the COVID committee again and think together about how to come back safely to our lovely building, which has been made even lovelier and more efficient while we've been away. Perhaps we will be able to return on Pentecost 2021 and see each other in the flesh. But that is not a promise. Pentecost is early this year. None of this I foresaw when I agreed to be warden. <laughs> but it has been a time where we have also learned useful things together. Things we want to be careful not to lose when we get to the next season of our parish life. But that will be someone else's responsibility. <laughs> I can testify that God has been good to us in many ways through this time. Now I want to return to our Bible readings. We belong to the Anglican Communion. And one of the glories of this communion is that we are, we claim, both heirs of the Protestant Reformation and we are Catholic, part of the unbroken tradition from the Apostles. This is the Anglican Middle Way. The Protestant part of this heritage emphasizes the priesthood of all believers. One feature of this is what Luther called the liberty of the Christian, though he says the Christian is also a servant. We can receive, as Moses did, the word of God to us directly. We do not have to have the mediation of a veiled prophet. The Holy Spirit, as Jesus says in his farewell discourse, will lead us into all truth. The Lord is the Spirit, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness. 
we have in this sense authority directly from the Spirit. But with this gift comes a great responsibility. The responsibility of discernment. And for this we need each other. We need the whole church. I say all of this because I've been distressed, as you may have been. By the way, evangelicals in the US have been surrendering to groupthink. I'm not giving a partisan political sermon, and there is certainly groupthink on the left as well as on the right. But I was struck by Karen Mahan talking two weeks ago about the Christian symbols at the failed insurrection at the Capitol on January the 6th. A large wooden cross and a Christian fish with the stars and stripes inside it. Tony Alimi preached on this last week, the danger of an idolatrous love of America. We evangelicals have been giving in to conspiracy theories in a way that has not been open to the spirits leading us into all truth. We may be tempted to think we are listening to the spirit just because of the partisan emotion, but it is just our group we are listening to. Sometimes you can feel your conscience pricking you. It whispers to you, my group is saying this, but it is not right. We have to listen to this inner voice. And for this listening, the rest of the church is a great help. It keeps us from siloing into our sealed off groupings. As Cromwell wrote to the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland during a bitter controversy, I beseech you, in the bowels of Christ, think it possible that you may be mistaken. <laughs> we are members one of another, brothers and sisters, even of those we profoundly disagree with, and the Spirit does not lead just our party but the whole body into truth. It also helps to have a good dose of common sense. Yeah. But I think we have a responsibility within the networks that Providence has given each one of us to reach out and speak the truth in love. This is not how I see it to be. We claim, secondly, in the Anglican Communion to be Catholic. And this gives us a sense of authority in a different sense. Think of Jesus again in the synagogue at Capernaum or at Nazareth as recorded in Luke. He went to the synagogue as was his custom and stood up to read and the scroll of Isaiah was handed to him. He then rolled it up gave it back to the attendant and sat down. This was the institutional form for those about to address the congregation as we might go up to the pulpit to preach. 
And in all of this, Jesus is accepting the authority of the ruler of the synagogue. It is like what Reverend Chuck said three weeks ago about Jesus' baptism. Jesus ac accepts the institutional form because he identifies with us in our condition. And we need this form. We need to be baptized. In the same way, when Moses tells the people of Israel in our first reading about the prophet who is to come, the context is that he's just been telling them about how they have to respect and support their priests. I quote, For the Lord your God has chosen Levi out of all of your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons, for all time. The priests stand and minister in the performance of the prescribed prayers and sacrifices. We Christians are told that we do not need to sacrifice animals anymore, but this is because we remember Christ's sacrifice in the Eucharist. And in this way, our priests are in continuity with Israel's priests, just as all our worship is in continuity with theirs. I say this because of the history of St. John's that I went through earlier. Our congregation has a tendency towards congregationalism. But in our polity, the authority over our worship is given canonically to our priests. And I thank God for them. We could think again about Plato's picture of the magnet and the chain of iron rings. I know that many of you are not cradle Episcopalians, and this may be an alien thought, but it can strengthen us to think of our priests as the link to us of a long chain of links, bishop by bishop, to the apostles, where the magnetic force, so to speak, is the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. In this way, too, we are in continuity with the Jews, who preserve in their rabbinical families the importance of lineage. I knew someone from such a family who traced his descent, father and son, back to Adam. <laughs> in any case, God has given us in this season two priests and a pastoral associate who have given of themselves unstintingly to us and we need to give ourselves reciprocally back to them in respect and support. I want to end with expressing my gratitude to you, the congregation, for the support you've given to me and to Terry. It's been a hard few years, but also years in which we have been blessed. We love you all and have felt your love. I pray 
that in this next season of leadership, you will continue to be open to the leading of the Spirit and will continue to grow in the knowledge and love of God. May the Lord watch over your going out and your coming in this day and forevermore. Amen.